0: This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 Podcast, on market scale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest-growing markets.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 Podcast. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. On today's food and beverage podcast, we're joined by Lane Joseph, marketing director of Hop and Sting Brewing Company, to talk about some of his marketing strategies, some of the things he'd like to see changed in the industry, and most importantly, his thoughts on some of America's favorite brews. How you doing, Lane?
0: Hi, I'm doing pretty good.
1: So, Lane, let's just get the formalities of the way. Can you tell us really quick what you do at Hop and Sting Brewing Company?
0: Sure, yeah. Well, all right. Uh, I'm, as you said, I'm the marketing director here, so I generally handle... Uh... A lot of our off premise sales, uh, help promoting the tap room, pretty much everything once the beer is already made. <laughs> uh, I also, like the other three owners here, I also have to wear a lot of other hats. I'm also the packaging manager. So I'm in charge of our canning line. I run that. And I'm also kind of our fix it guy and IT guy. So fix a lot of the random things that break around here and most of the computer work. Are you one
1: of the younger people working there right now?
0: Um, of the three of us, I'm the youngest of the three, but I'm not the youngest in the company, but of the three owners, I'm the youngest.
1: I see, so that's probably why you got stuck as the AT guy, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, something like that.
1: So, Lane, tell me a little bit about your marketing approach, because obviously marketing is gonna vary depending on the industry, but I think you're in a particularly fun industry, right?
0: I would say so, yeah. I know a lot of other people in marketing who, uh, don't have quite as fun of a product to sell.
1: So what, what kind of approach do you try to take with, uh, you know, considering it's such a fun product?
0: Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, a lot of the, uh, the big guys and like the standards for marketing is just kind of like what everyone does. And a lot of breweries just say, well, ho, oh, you know, insert brewery XYZ is doing it this way. So we should do it this way. And I'm trying to do things a little differently. I'm trying to focus more on our social media presence, our, uh, our marketing of our actual brands themselves. like we're, we're getting a little more crazy with our beer naming and our beer labels, and we're trying to be a little more, I don't know, fun, I guess is the way to describe it. We want people to feel like this is a cool place to be, to hang out, and think our, our beer, we're normal people. And one of our big marketing uh, points to make is that we're brewer-owned and brewer-operated. We're not owned by like a big investment group or a bunch of people who don't know anything about making beer. We're 98% brewer-owned brewer-operated.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. That's, that's super cool. So what, tell me a little bit about Hoppin's thing. What kind of place is it? What, what kind of beers do you have on tap? Is it mostly your own stuff?
0: Sure. Everything we, – we, we are classified as a production brewery, which I'm sure we'll get into later with the Texas beer laws. But uh, we're a production brewery, which means we can do contract brewing so other breweries can come in here and brew their beer. You know, and we can charge them by the barrel. Uh, but that also means in our tap room we can only serve our beer or beer we make. So we can't like bring in other breweries or other, you know, wine or anything like that. Uh, But the tap room is like our bread and butter. It You know, we we love it. It's actually sitting in there right now doing our interview. Um, And it's like a standard, I wouldn't say standard, but it's like a, it has, you know, like a a nice bar motif with, uh, you know, the bar with the taps. And we have a beer garden outside and two stories on the inside for the actual inside the tap room. But then uh, our distribution is across North Texas. We think as far north as Denton and McKinney, and far east as uh, uh, Forney and then as far west as about White Settlement. Then we get down to like Arlington and a little bit south of 20. So pretty much the healthy DFW area. We're we're self-distributed, so we have our own driver who takes out our beer and delivers it directly to the uh, 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 the accounts. Whereas we are a production brewery, like I said earlier, so that means we can't sell directly to consumers, but if someone wants to buy one of our kegs, they can go to any of the stores that sells our beer, and then they can buy it from us and then sell it to them kind of thing.
1: Okay, so yeah, we'll get to it later when we talk about laws, but that sounds overly convoluted. <laughs> but that's really cool. It's, it's cool that you guys have like a, a, a decent reach. So Lane, I also read that you're technically a founder, right? Tell me about that. How did that start? What did the early days of Hop and Sting look
0: like? In the, In the early days, that was a well. It was John and Brian initially first, and that was just when it was almost a concept. And they started that uh, 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 nearly, nearly three years ago. They started the process of you know just kind of uh, testing out some beers and giving them out at events, you know, because when you don't have a TABC license or a TTB, you have to just give it away. You can't charge for it. And so they did a few events like down at Luck at Trendy Groves and a few other places around. Uh, and then at about. Two years ago or so, I started helping out um, because they were starting to seriously look for a location. I was like, Hey guys, I know both beer and real estate. Let me help you. And you know, Brian and John and I all worked at Gravine at one point or the other. In fact, uh, Brian was actually my boss at Gravevine until he left uh, a couple of years ago. So we all got together and I started helping them with that. And then I got heavily involved about a year and a half ago. Then we started really getting into locations. We had a few false starts up in Den and then Carrollton, and then uh, we started doing contract brewing at Three Nations in Farmer's Branch last October. I think our license officially went through in like August or September. And we brewed there for about three or four months into about January, February of this year. But unfortunately, we were limited on the amount we could actually produce there, and the Three Nations was trying to go to a brew pub model, which means that we could no longer contract brew there, so we had to look for our more forever home. <laughs>
1: So what you mentioned, like a li- licensing process, what's what's that like?
0: Oh, cool! All right, um,
1: yeah. Let's, let's just get into this whole mess, right? Because it seems like not only is is alcohol in general, you know, a, a cumbersome business to be in, but you're also doing it in Texas, probably one of the most cumbersome states to do it in, right?
0: The only one that has the distinction between production brewery and brew pub anymore. Wow. Used to there would be more, but now. Texas is the last one, but I'll get into that in a second. But uh, yeah, so first off, you have to get your uh, TTB, but you can do this concurrently with your TABC permit. So your TTB is your federal, uh, TTB is like formally the ATF, and that's where you get your federal permit so that you pay your federal taxes and are registered as a brewery. But then you need your TABC permit to actually produce the beer in the state, which is Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission. once you have both of those, you then have to submit for each brand you want to produce label approval, which is another, right now I think it's a two to three week process, but all, to, all in all, just the licensing and permitting, if you do it, even with concurrently doing the TTB and TABC, is about a three to four month process. And that's just to get one beer out. After that, you need to submit for new labels on each beer uh, that you produce that you're going to sell off premise. Uh, so you need to get a new label, and for that you have to have all the designs for both the keg colors and the cans if you plan to can it, or let me rephrase that, you have to have the labels for whatever vehicles you're going to be selling it in, whether it be a keg, a bottle or a can, and then you have to submit samples with their alcohol content, a sample of the beer to be sent into the lab. The lab actually analyzes it pretty dang quick, but it takes about two to three weeks for the label approval to go through, then you can sell that beer.
1: Okay, so this sounds like a nightmare.
0: It, it can be a little hectic and a little um, taxing, if you will.
1: <laughs> so now that you're you're set up, is it what's that process like when you have a new, a new product you're trying to
0: put out? Well, we just submitted nine new label approvals because we're trying to get them out there. They're beers that we're probably not even going to have for a few months, but we wanted to get that started in case there were any issues. Because if there's an issue on the label, they send it back, and you sometimes have to completely resubmit that label. So if you had like a typo or say you use the word Belgian without saying Belgian style, You'll have to resubmit that label and sometimes they'll just let you resubmit the changes and it takes a few days or sometimes they'll make you fully resubmit the label altogether, and that can take another two to three weeks and if you're like already making the beer you're kind of putting in a bad position so we're trying to get everything submitted well ahead of time before we have to worry about the actual beer itself
1: right so is a lot of the 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 nuance that they're looking at is it specifically the kind of language you're using and how you're using it because i imagine there's a lot of regulation the same way it is for, you know, like whiskey laws and, and wine laws, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's very similar to that where like they're they're looking, you can't say a specific region or place. You can't use uh, another name of a beer that's already been taken in state. Uh, there's a bunch of different little things that they look for on your label and you can't have them or you can't or you have to have them kind of thing. So it's just a process. Fortunately, we have a good designer who knows usually what needs to be on a label. So that saves us a little bit of problems
1: yeah I'm sure that definitely helps so what is it? What about the the a p v process? you said you have to send that into a lab? Are they just basically is that something you guys decide and then they're they're double checking or is that like what they give you is what's going to be on the can
0: yeah we 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 pretty much say like here is what we think this beer is going to be, and we submit a sample, and you know our math is say it's six and a half percent then they get tested and it comes back at 6.3. Well, you can still call it six and a half because there's a 0.3 ABV percentage window, basically. So if you send in a sample for something you're saying is 6.5 and it comes in at 6.3, you're fine. But if you send in a sample for something you're saying is 6.5 and it comes out at 6.1, you'd have to call it either 6.4 or drop down the alcohol. Oh, wow.
1: That's so funny that they even have that like little wiggle room of of 0.3.
0: Well, just because there's minor inconsistencies between batches anyway, like I, I bet if you took right. even one of the big boys and, and tested a bunch of different samples, you'd see a variance, maybe not quite a point three, but you'd see some swing.
1: Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, this huge craft beer movement. I think that's, you know, definitely it seems like it's here to stay, right? It's not something I think maybe five years ago, people might've called it a fad, but I think generally... The, the average you know person that cares about beer is like you know down the rabbit hole like we're all trying to find you know local stuff or or, or new and different things. So how has this affected your your business model or your marketing approach?
0: Sure. So we got started you know kind of during the the upswing if you will uh, of the of the craft and brewing movement. And as of right now, I'd say for the last even couple of years, it's kind of gotten out to a leveling point where you're starting to see. Breweries that aren't cutting it starting to shut down and, you know, some of the big boys getting bought out. So obviously to that saturation point, I mean, we might still be a little more on the upswing, but, but generally speaking, it's kind of leveling out where you can't just make a brewery and it'd be successful anymore. Like five, six years ago, if you had a brewery anywhere, you're probably doing just fine. But nowadays, there's so much competition, even in Texas. I think we, someone told me that it was like, we had five craft breweries in uh, like North Texas eight years ago, and now we have like 250 or something.
1: Oh man. So then how, how has that changed the way you, you approach marketing? I, I assume it's making it then harder now to stand out a little bit, right?
0: Well, our model is a little different than a lot of other breweries too, because we, uh, next to beer sales, our next biggest uh, income source is event space rentals. Oh, okay. We actually have a really nice uh, uh, air conditioned facility, which is very rare in the brewing world. Most breweries do not have HVAC on their, on the production floor side, but we do. Uh, so we get a little spoiled with that, but what that allows us to do is rent it out for private events. So we're we're not just relying on our beer sales being our one income driver. We have beer sales, we have event space rentals, and we have merchandise. But merchandise is you know pretty low third level. But having that tap room and having event space rentals is really what's making our company work so well. Like we certainly are selling our beer quite well, but it's not like if we have a bad month, we'll just be, you know, crashing and burning. Right. Uh, trying to push all of those is really what's driving me. So I, I'll spend I, I try not to prioritize just by the week, but I'll find some days I'm focusing more on trying to get more in uh, business into the tap room. Some days I'll focus more on trying to sell off premise. And then some days I'll try to do more things to improve our event rental space. We have an event coordinator just for that purpose. And it's really working out well for us.
1: So you mentioned that you know you're trying to take a different approach in, in the marketing angle. What are you seeing other breweries do that, you know, might that feels a little bit outdated maybe that generally for the industry is like a, a bad look or a, or a lazy look.
0: I think one of the the most outdated things right now is the amount of random unnecessary merch and marketing that breweries buy, like like table tents and random little like coasters are cool and all, but I feel like a lot of that stuff is just unnecessary and outdated, no one really cares anymore. you've seen enough signs like we basically keep it pretty lean. We have shirts, we have glasses, we have hats, and we're thinking about getting tin tackers that's about as crazy as we're going to get for now, but there's breweries are out there who bought you know ten thousand pens and and little cards and little holders and little binders and all sorts of random stuff that you give out or sell and I just feel like that's a little unnecessary when it comes to the marketing. Some breweries even buy billboards and a billboard gets your name out there, unless you're huge, there is, you really, I cannot see it being lucrative in your budget to have a billboard. Those can be up to eight, five grand, you know, five to eight grand a month. That's just too much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, I think you're, you're right. And generally that kind of return is not something we're really seeing. Right. I think like billboards at this point, really seem to only work for like movies or things like that, that are are, are are super timely. You know, I can't imagine someone seeing a billboard for a brewery and being like, all right, well, I know what I'm doing that I wasn't going to do already today. Yeah.
0: And another thing I find that a lot of breweries are doing and just businesses in general is I, there there is a time and a place for spending on premium and ad space on all the different um, social media and uh, online directory services like uh, Yelp and And whatnot. Um, So there's, we constantly get calls from like Yelp and uh, Facebook and Google and people who are trying to sell them as working for them, but they're really not. And I think that there's a lot of the uh, I don't want to like specifically say the older generation, but I'd say there's a lot of people out there who don't understand the social media and e presence as well, and they are just willing to pay. What they think sounds like a reasonable rate compared to some other marketing costs to then just have someone take care of it. I feel like that might not be the best use of funds because targeted marketing on Facebook does well for us for events and the occasional page like. But you know, there's people out there buying bots to have likes on their pages, and that's just not a, a that's that's a very short term stopgap. And algorithms are getting better and better at preventing that from actually helping you. Right.
1: Yeah. No. I and I definitely agree. And and I think especially. Today, right, like that—that consistency online is way more valuable than any billboard will would ever be.
0: Yeah, and most of it you can do for little to no cost without actually having to spend money, and it still looks just fine and dandy. Um, Right. right. I I will admit we don't have much of an Instagram presence. I mean, sorry, we don't have much of a Twitter presence. We do have an Instagram, and we do have you know a Facebook, and those are our solid ones. We find that a Twitter for a for a brewery while could reach us a few people is just not a good use of our time Mm -hmm. i'm i'm sure someone would argue otherwise but for our product it's not something you can describe it's something you need to try and you know instagram at least you get the pictures with it and yes you can do the you know the weird pictures with twitter but it's just not not really what we need we have the twitter but it's hardly updated the facebook and instagram are definitely our bread and butter when it comes to the main social media and followed closely by uh yelp right which i don't necessarily count Social media, but I do count that as an important place to be, especially being a place that serves drinks. The number two biggest demographic of uh, of Yelp searches, yeah,
1: for sure. And I think that I think you're definitely right. Like, I think someone could probably make the argument for Twitter, but even when I think about how I use Twitter, all my like quote unquote fun you know follows are on Instagram or Facebook. You know, like Twitter just I end up using it more. I don't want to say business, but like, all right, I, I, that's where I get my news every morning and. And, you know, follow people I, I, I know. So I think there are there are specific social media platforms that work better for specific businesses. And I think why reach for everything if if, if you're not even committed to it, though? Yeah.
0: And then conversely with that, there's, the, you know, the suites that'll post the same thing across all three. And I find that to be even worse and kind of redundant because something that's going to look good or feel right on Twitter is not going to look appropriate on Facebook.
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. That, that's just never a good look. So, Lane, let's, um, I guess, reluctantly talk a little bit about some of the issues you're seeing on a legal level when it comes to alcohol and beer in Texas. Tell, tell me about that. What, what's, your, what's your main plight with all this?
0: So, okay, Texas is the only state that separates production breweries from brew pubs, and they place brew pubs on the retail tier and production breweries on the manufacturing tier. So what that basically means is a, the, the difference between the two is a production brewery, can make um, a, a very high number of barrels per year. I mean, I don't even know if there is an upper limit. Now that I think about it, uh, they can have contract brewers. They can be distributed out of state, and there's a few other perks to that. But what they cannot do is sell beer to go. So our tap room and our facility cannot sell six packs, crowlers, growlers, or any of that directly to consumers. We have to go through a retailer because we're not a retail tier. Conversely, brew pubs. Can sell beer to go. However, they have some limitations on that. They can't give out certain beer for free at places. They uh, are on the same tier as a retailer, so they can't give them uh, uh, certain benefits. They can't. Uh, they have a, a limited production of. I want to say it's ten thousand barrels a year, and then uh, they can't distribute out of state. And a few other little random things that make them different. So you kind of have to pick. Do you want to be able to sell your beer to go? Or do you want to have the flexibility of contract brewing and larger distribution? We're the only state that does that.
1: And, and do you know what their rationale is for that?
0: It's a very old holdover from uh, Prohibition era to help protect the retailers.
1: Oh, from that thing we don't do anymore?
0: <laughs> right. Um, so like back in the day, you know, retailers like uh, whatever, whoever sold alcohol at the time, Uh, they were worried that if a brewery or distillery would just, uh, although right now, distilleries don't have that law either anymore. It's only breweries at this point. Wineries and distilleries do not have that law in Texas. It's only breweries and only in Texas, but, uh, uh, they were worried that like a brewery would just sell their beer directly and put all the local shops out of business.
1: So theoretically, would you need to open a whole other retail space if you wanted to sell beer
0: to go? We could not sell beer to go unless it was a separate company. And then as a separate company, we could exclusively sell to them and we'd have to charge the same rate we charge to everyone else. There's literally no way as a production brewery that we can sell beer to go effectively.
1: Yikes. Okay. uh, I can see how that can be frustrating.
0: Yeah. I mean, because people are always like, hey, can I buy a keg or hey, can I buy a six pack or I'd love to take this, you know, a growler of this to my friend. And we're like, sorry, no, You have to drink it here. Uh, You can buy it down the street, you know, and. If they don't carry what we uh, what you want, I'm sorry, we can't make them buy it.
1: Wow. So, is there and do you, do you see any any possibility of this changing in the future?
0: There was a big a movement uh, a little while back uh, called uh, yeah, Sue TABC or it was hashtag Sue TABC, and it was a uh, a joint uh, lawsuit brought by uh, both Deep Elm and uh, Ray Vinecraft Brewery at the time, and it sat in in you know, limbo for several years. And then I think it finally went to a summary judgment and was, you know, dismissed or whatever, but it, it technically can be done. It just has to be done legislatively. And that's, you know, a problem, right? Because <laughs> the people who are most against it are distributors.
1: Yeah, man, that
0: and distributors have a lot of money.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sorry. I feel like I should apologize. Cause that sucks. Uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah. I won't get into like, the politics of it, but l- let's just say that the uh, distributors have a lot of money and pay a lot of good money to make sure that, that brewer- production breweries can't sell their beer to go because that would kind of hurt their model. Right, right. Because right now, you have to use a distributor if you're trying to get pretty widespread. I mean, self-distribution, what we're doing is fine, but we're also content with our DFW market, and even that's going to become pretty taxing as we keep it, uh, spreading. But, uh, but you know, if you're a brewery that's trying to serve all of Texas, there's no way you can do that without a distributor. And the distributor knows that. So then they take their 30% and sell your beer and, and they put it into the retailers. Right, right.
1: Man. Well, let's shift gears. I feel like I depressed both of us a little bit there. <laughs> so I have a list in front of me of that is America's top 10 selling beers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm going to read you the top five, and I just need you to give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Ooh, okay. All right. And it's, I, I just learned something. Uh, this is an interesting Top five, mostly light beers now in America. So that's interesting.
0: Our number two, our number one and number two most selling beers in the tap room are our two lightest, easiest drinking light beers. Because, well, a we are in grapevine, but then B a lot of people come in and they're like, "Hey, what do you have that's like Bud Light?" And we say, "Try one of these. This isn't like Bud Light, but it's our lightest, easiest drinker." Mm.
1: Yeah. Do you, what do you think that is? Do you think it's just? Do you think more people are just drinking beer now than than they
0: used to, and and that might be why? Well, I think it's you know. For the longest time, that was the only beer there was. So pretty much anyone over, yeah. pretty much anyone over thirty, that's all the only beer they had to choose from. It was that or the occasional pale ale, you know. Nowadays we have bourbon barrel aged stouts and double dry hopped crazy IPAs and all sorts of wacky stuff. Wow! All right,
1: I'm gonna start at number five. So number five, we got Coors Light.
0: <laughs> I say thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Um. Well. Uh, I mean, I, I gotta give it a thumbs down of, of the big three. I don't much care for it.
1: Yeah. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Even they're the ones that had that weird marketing, like, uh, where their cans could tell you if they were cold or not. Right. That was them. Right.
0: Yeah. And the, the mountains get blue when it's cold. Yeah. I think they were also the ones who gave you the, the, uh, the airport on the top for easy shotgunning. Oh yeah. That was the, <laughs> Did they, or was it Miller Lite who did the tornado bottle that was like had the twists inside it to make it easier to chug too?
1: Oh, I think that was Miller, but okay. Either way, all terrible. I don't like. How, there's no way these campaigns pushed units, really, right? Like, I mean, they
0: probably did.
1: Oh man, that makes it. That makes me sad. That that makes me lose faith in in American consumers.
0: We're not going to do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, number four, Corona Extra.
0: Thumbs up. Yeah, I, I
1: agree with that. I even, I, even, I even go for a Corona light every now and then. I'm, I'm a fan.
0: Fun fact about clear bottles with Mexican lagers, by the way, um, clear is obviously lets the most light through, followed by green, followed by brown. Even brown lets about 5%. I think green lets 20% through, but clear lets like all of it through. Um, when beer is struck by sunlight, it actually develops a little bit of a skunky flavor. And a lot of people come to expect that from Corona and like some of the other lighter Mexican lagers. And that's why it's usually served with a lime. Oh, wow. That's like a standard thing for them.
1: I mean, that makes so much sense. I always just read the line. I was like, oh, this is a good idea. I like this. Yeah. But it's good to know that there's a reason behind it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Number three, we talked about them. Miller Lite. You know, thumbs up. If I have to have one of the big three,
0: it's going to be Miller Lite.
1: I agree. I think Miller's definitely. definitely... They're the ones that have the, the champagne of beer, right? That's them? Yeah, that's the uh, Miller High Life. High Life. Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> number two. Michelob ultra oh hard pass no that's a thumbs down thumbs down man i've come I've come around recently because they have a new uh like i don't even know what they call it, but it's like a clear bottle and it's like a, a, a more of a gold color that one i I've gone into, but regular Michelob, I can't do it's a little too light
0: yeah it's um <laughs> there's kind of a joke in like craft beers that like uh some places will have like a a uh, tap handle that's their water tap, and they'll have a Michelob Ultra can on it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that. And number one, can you guess what number one is? I mean, Bud Light? No. Bud Light went down. This article makes sure to, to let us know that Bud Light was number one forever, but it went down to number six. Oh, number one then, huh? Um, give me a second. Samuel Adams? No. I don't even know if Samuel's crap's the top ten, honestly. What is it then? It is Heineken. Heineken.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I will give it a thumbs up. I mean, I I like me some uh, some Dutch beer.
1: Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised to see this one here, honestly. Yeah, I would have, I probably would have guessed Bud or Samuel above Heineken, but
0: I took a trip to northeast or northwest Germany and then Holland, and I actually drove by the the Heineken uh, facility oh wow how how was that i mean i only drove by unfortunately i didn't get to go in but yeah it was pretty big oh uh, okay okay
1: pretty big all right so it adds up then <laughs> yeah well lane thank you so much for joining us today I, I appreciate your time and uh i had fun thanks thanks for for talking with us
0: if you'd like to hear other Wildfire episodes or some of our other podcasts, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries.